Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. President Biden's report on Afghanistan, Sean, is a fable. The American people may be poorer under President Biden, but they're not stupid. Uh, President Biden's approval rating ranks right up there with jockeys among <laughs> American voters. Uh, and there's, there's, a, there's. Hannity has brought in a live studio audience. And of course, Senator John Kennedy never minces any words. I like the man a lot. That I want to be my first bourbon and cigar sit-down interview. Senator John Kennedy. Because do the quips help is a great question. Although they're unbelievably funny. There's nothing funny about what Joe Biden has said about the withdrawal from Afghanistan, getting 13 service members, Marines and others murdered, leaving Afghans to die, leaving Americans behind, to be tortured, to be killed. And what happens? What do they put out? A story that says, well, we looked into this, And the reason for the chaotic Afghan withdrawal was Donald Trump. There are a lot of stories today. There's been a lot of stories this week. I'm telling you, nothing should make you feel sicker than what it is I'm sharing with you right now. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Feel free, disagree, agree, call in, share a thought. I don't mind. 833-468-8669. It's a 12-page summary. What is referred to as the hot wash of U.S. policies, they take no responsibility for its own actions. Rather, as Zeke Miller writes it, the AP chief White House correspondent saying that Biden was, quote, severely constrained, unquote, by Trump's decisions. They acknowledge that the withdrawal of Americans and allies should have started sooner But they blame delays in the Afghan government and the military and on U.S. military and intelligence community assets. Let's go back to Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana. There's a reason for that. Uh, It's the president's, in part, his surrender to the Taliban in Afghanistan. Now, that's not the only thing that the Biden administration has screwed up. They're never just one or two cockroaches. Uh, President Biden has mismanaged Congress, he's mismanaged COVID, he's mismanaged the border, he's mismanaged crime, he's mismanaged the spy balloon, he's mismanaged the economy, he's mismanaged fentanyl, and he's, he's uh, forfeited our energy independence. But his surrender to the Taliban in Afghanistan was especially egregious. That's an unbelievably good list. And a great connection with Americans who may not know who he is, when you hear that list, you're like, yeah, 
Yeah, it's a long list of things that Joe Biden has screwed up and the utilization of the term mismanaged. Now, that's not the only thing that the Biden administration has screwed up. They're never just one or two cockroaches. Uh, President Biden has mismanaged Congress. He's mismanaged COVID. He's mismanaged the border. He's mismanaged crime. He's mismanaged the spy balloon. He's mismanaged the economy. He's mismanaged fentanyl. And he's he's uh, forfeited our energy independence. Again, that's a really good list. But his surrender to the Taliban in Afghanistan was especially egregious because it telegraphed, as you pointed out, to China and Russia and North Korea and Iran that he, President Biden, intended to pursue peace through weakness. And peace through weakness never works. Now, those are the facts. It it gives me no joy to recite them. But um, unless you're a woker or unless you have a neck tattoo or unless you have both, you're both, you know that I am correct in the American people. I don't know what a neck tattoo has to do with it. But there can be no doubt that Biden brings with him a string of mismanagement. So why is John Kirby, spokesperson, trying to make the argument with Peter Ducey that everything's fine? Who's going to get fired over this? Peter, the purpose of the document that we're putting out today uh, is to sort of collate the chief reviews and findings of the agencies that did after action reviews um uh, the it, it's not the, the purpose of it is not accountability it's the purpose of it is military leaders purpose of it is to study like less you admit learn. that the intel was bad so how can president biden ever trust when they come into the oval office with the pdb that anything in there is legit what i said was that intelligence is a mosaic what if the mosaic all the pieces are incorrect what Peter Ducey has really gotten very good at this. How to properly push back. If they're going to admit that there was bad intelligence received, well, I consider that to be a good thing and an honest thing to say to the American people. What I said was intelligence is hard business, and they get it right a lot, too. Um, There were some pieces here that weren't accurate, and... We're being nothing but honest with you and the American people about what those inaccuracies were and how they shaped some of the decision making that was laid before the president and, and his and the questions that he that he asked. This document and this effort isn't about accountability today. It's about understanding. And I would also add that, the, as I said to Ed, the review process isn't over. This is this is the next muscle movement in what will be a long process to better understand and comprehend and adjust to what we learned and what we did in Afghanistan. You started with blaming the Trump administration, but Trump wasn't in office. You were. You didn't have defense speaking with state. You waited too long and then you went too quickly. You failed at the task. Americans died because of your, as Senator John Kennedy put it, mismanagement. And as Peter Ducey continues, you're you're not providing 
context. If you were, you wouldn't get into the blame game. You'd say, here what went, here's what went down. But it, it doesn't seem like after the country has had a couple months to review this, and as the government has, people don't have an issue with the decision to order troops out of Afghanistan. It is with the way that this president ordered it done. There were children being killed. There were people hanging off of Air Force jets that were leaving. And you're saying that you guys are proud of the way that this mission was conducted? Does it mean of that? The whole proud thing is really something else because Kirby now puts himself into a very, very weird spot. And this is about the administration, as you will soon see, trying to do something that your kid does, which is try and have it both ways. Proud of the fact that we got more than 124,000 people safely out of Afghanistan? You bet. Proud of the fact that American troops were able to seize control of a defunct airport and get it operational in 48 hours? You bet. Proud of the fact that we now have about 100,000 Afghans, our former allies and partners, living in this country and working towards citizenship? You bet. Does that mean that everything went perfect in that evacuation? Of course not. I've talked about it from a a different podium. The after-action reviews are now being reviewed by members of Congress, which will lay out things that could have gone better. Nobody's saying that everything was perfect. But there was a lot that went right. And a lot of Afghans are now living better lives in this country and other countries around the world because of the sacrifices and the work of so many American government officials. So, yeah, there's a lot to be proud of, Peter. Taking back an airport when you never should have given up the airport seems to be the problem itself. The fact that American forces could take an airport that didn't really have anybody looking at it in Afghanistan in 48 hours, one would wonder what they did with the other 47 and a half hours. You're proud that 100 some odd thousand Afghans are living in the United States? You could have had them all. All of those who helped American soldiers. All of those who are willing to put everything on the line to have a better Afghanistan. You could have helped all of them if you had just done it right. Well, we got most and that's better than nothing. It's not something to be proud of. They want to blame Trump for why everything went bad. And then tell you what a good job they did. That is trying to have it both ways. And that is surreal. This administration is an embarrassing group of people. But perhaps nothing is more embarrassing than the Well, the failures trying to be seen as successes. This is Ed O'Keefe of CBS News. But this is, they called it, or National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said they were going to do a hot wash, which is a fancy bureaucratic term for a deep dive into what went wrong. This 12-page document is a whitewash. There is, (laughs) it it is narrative. It is light on specifics. uh, It's devoid of citations. And it is, in essence, uh, their version of events. That's CBS. So before anybody starts calling me a partisan, what do you want to do now? You failed on every level. 
You blamed Trump for the failures and then went out there to say how proud you are of the work that you did that you just admitted was a failure because of Trump. That's this administration. That is how much this administration, wait for it, hates you. If they didn't hate you, they wouldn't do this. If they didn't hate you, as Ed O'Keefe points out, they wouldn't put out a 12-page document that he's referring to a whitewash that doesn't have citations, that doesn't have a way to explain itself, doesn't have a way to back itself up, back itself up. My gosh. That's something. And the administration is proud. You're not crazy. That's the point. You know it was bad. You recognized it was bad. You said that it was bad. It was and is bad. And these people who are trying to sell you on this hate you. That's all there is to it. Nothing more and nothing less. They hate you. And they believe they can treat you this way. They believe they can say these things to you. They believe that they can lie to you. They believe they can try and have it both ways. They believe they can gin their people up and attack you while their people will never notice that they left Americans to die and Afghans to die. And just move about their day. My advice, don't let them do it so easily. I'm Tony Katz. The jobs report is not what it's cracked up to be. Dr. Matt Will will explain it. That's coming up. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. Where is the Dow? The Dow is... That's not, why am I not getting an update? I don't know why it's not. It, yeah, the market, isn't the market, wait, the market closed. Oh, it's closed today. That's right. It's closed today because of Easter. I forgot. I'm like, wait a second. All I'm getting is futures. This does not make any sense. Easter. So they're, they're closed. Easter will be Sunday. I like any time Passover happens right before Easter because, I mean, Passover, the Seder, is the, the Last Supper, and it's kind of cool. It's nice when it, amazing when it kind of flows uh, together. Uh, let me tell you, here's what I know. Here's what I know. It turns out that Daddy, in, th- in, this, in this conversation, uh, it turns out that uh, I, I am Daddy. It turns out that Daddy... Who is your daddy? Uh, uh, knows how to make a brisket. 15 pounds, 16 hour smoke, four hour and 20 minute rest. My God, I'm good. I am pretty sure that my brisket made every woman at my Seder pregnant. That's how good my brisket is. And uh, uh, the rub uh, was uh, salt and pepper. That's it. Half cup of each. Did not use the totality on the 15-pound brisket. Went went light this time around. Starting to play with the idea that less is more. Less is more and, oh, so good. So good that I, I wanted to see if, if I could do it again. I wanted to see because when I, when I trim a brisket, 
I um I, I like to leave fat on there. And sometimes I leave a little too much, and I know that. I'm starting to think I'm leaving a lot too much. And there are people who tell you what you really want is like, a, you know, on the, on the fat cap, right? What's on top or really to the extent that you can all around, like, like a quarter inch. Like a quarter inch. You just want that little ribbon there. I don't know if I even need that much. I'm going, I, I know, I know. It's straight. I'm going with the theory that less is more. Because I have to ask myself, I have to find out if my problem is I'm fine. We live in a world where everything is crazy expensive. So everybody everywhere is looking for things on sale. You look for opportunities. How do you take what are thought to be lesser cuts of meat and utilize them in a way that work? That's why people do slow cooking. Remember, brisket was... Brisket is a, a very, very hard piece of meat to cook. That's why you do the smoking, the low and slow. It's because it's this, it's, it's not, it's not ribeye. It's, it's, it's not filet mignon. It's a very difficult thing to work with and a very difficult thing to enjoy. You have to do low and slow to break down the tendons, to break down everything else, to really be able to enjoy the, the, the meat. And remember, then there's the people who don't trust their rubs so much. They're still saucing the thing. Which, I, I'm not going to tell you no, but if the brisket itself cannot be enjoyed as it is with the rub, I don't, I, the, the sauce covers, but the sauce doesn't make it better. The sauce only covers. The only way to make it better is to then chop that up and make a, a brisket chili out of it. Brisket chili or uh, get yourself some shredded potatoes and brisket hash. See, because then you can doctor it up from now until the end of time, and now it's just this protein base and everything works. Oh, yeah. Yeah, many people do the brisket chili, but not everybody. Very few people do the brisket hash. Whoo, that works. That works. But the, I want to understand whether or not, because even though, let's say it's a choice brisket, right? Choice and then prime, select is the very bottom. Um, it should still be marbleized enough and fatty enough to work. It doesn't, shouldn't have to be prime. It should not have to be based on what it is. But I have run into a couple of choice briskets that I thought, man, this brisket came out terrible. But I'm starting to wonder if I left it too fatty, therefore not being able to get a good enough bark because the fat won't set a bark properly. The bark is when you've got the rub on the outside and, and when the smoke gets to it and it changes that color and gets to that dark and those purples, and those blacks, and that's the bark. And I believe that a bark should ha should have a little bit of resistance to it. A bark should have, it should be able to, for at least a moment, hold on its own before then collapsing into uh, the juices of the brisket, the, the flavor of the brisket. And then it should mix. Um, and I'm like, I think, I, th I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm trimming enough. And after doing this 15 pound, now it happened to be a kosher brisket, but, I, but I, that part shouldn't matter. Except it was crazy trimmed. I mean, outrageously trimmed. I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it. So I'm like, all right, I have to try this. So I pulled out another brisket. <laughs> this one's only, I think, like 12 and a half pounds. And, and that's going on Saturday night. I will keep you posted. Uh, it's research, people. And besides, you have to look for cheaper cuts of meat because this economy is nuts. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, 
discussing the latest jobs numbers and why that's not the story. Manufacturing is, and those numbers, they're bad. I'm Tony Katz. So the jobs numbers are out and they met the expectations. So, of course, Biden's going to crow and everyone's going to think the economy is doing better. But it was Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, who sent me this data point from the Institute for Supply Management that says, oh, things aren't good at all. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. Find everything. TonyKatz.Locals.com. Spoke with Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, and said, explain this to me. Explain to me what's going on with the manufacturing of goods and and why this isn't more the story. And, and more to the point, what is the story? Well, Tony, they get the information from purchasing managers and production managers. So they're, they're on the phones every month calling up factories and businesses across the country. That's where the data comes from. And there's this, the number is 50. 50 is like the break-even line. If it's above 50, it's expanding. If it's below 50, it's contracting. And so let's just pick one of those numbers. Inventories. Customer inventories have been contracting for 78 months. That means the customers, the people who are buying the products, putting it on their shelves, have said, we don't need as much. They're calling less. The back orders, new orders. Tony, eight months in a row now, new orders have shrunk. That means that for eight months, the people buying the stuff from the manufacturers and the wholesalers, they're saying, we don't need as much. Tony, that's an indicator of recession. When new orders are down, when inventories are down, when people aren't buying product. This is from the people that are making it. But they're the they, best leading getting, indicator out there. Are they, but are they getting this, this word from the street that nobody wants it? Or is this still a supply chain issue that even if somebody wanted, they don't have the stuff they need to make it? Well, you know, Tony, there's a, there's a wide range of issues on that. So there's a, the, the leading um, expert in the primary metals business had a quote in this report saying that they are still experiencing significant supply chain issues on several indirect supplies. So there's still problems with the supply chain that haven't been fixed, regardless of what Mayor Pete says, we're still having supply chain problems. I don't, I don't think anybody was relying on, on Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, to get it solved, which really brings to, uh, us to how bad is it still? Has the market worked in a way to try and solve some of these supply chain issues, or are they really stymied? Are they screwed because government inaction prevents them from being able to take action? You know, Tony, I, I hate to say it, but it, it's it's like, you know, it's like the market has been abused because every single quote that I read in this report from various companies have said they've, they've accepted the current state. They've accepted that this is the new status quo, that we're going to have supply chain problems, that you're going you're gonna to have to narrow your inventory selection. You know, I'm one of those people that buys uh, Chotskis for the university, and I can tell you that our suppliers, we've just accepted the fact that we don't have 10 choices for, you know, logoed shirts. We have two. We've just accepted that fact that there is less selection out there. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Let me go back to this 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 jobs report, right? With uh, growth totals at 236,000. That's what everybody's going to be talking about today. And this was the, the key points from CNN right here. That non-farm payrolls grew and it matched basically the estimate. 
Uh, the unemployment rate ticks down to 3.5%. The average hourly earnings rose 0.3%. So it's the, the, the lowest level since June of 2021. And the unemployment rate for black Americans at a record low. You tell me the Biden administration, Dr. Will, isn't going to cheer these numbers and that these numbers don't give them a reason to? Well, of course, they're going to cheer these numbers, Tony. They're going to cheer the fact that we have a shortage of workers on the front lines. You know, you go to a restaurant, you're going to wait in line. You go to get service at any retail establishment, you're going to have a problem. Tony, it's not because the economy is growing. The facts are that the economy isn't growing. The reality is that we still haven't recovered from from the great recession we had during the pandemic. Tony, let's remember one very important thing. More businesses shut down during the pandemic than at any time in history, and they have not yet recovered. So when you go to the store and you see a line, Tony, there aren't as many stores. Don't think that the economy is doing great. The companies that are gone, that shut down, they haven't come back. That's why you see the line, because we still have a lack of supply on the retail side. This, this lack of supply, as we go back to this manufacturing report, which you see as as not so much the canary in the coal mine, but you're kind of making a different argument, sir. You're making the argument that the canary is dead. It's been dead for a while, and somebody just came across it. Um, we've talked about this in some some other ways uh, re- regarding banking. If this has been months of decline in production, if we are now in month four or five of contraction, although we've seen supplies uh, or inventories necessarily going down because there isn't a, any purchasing power to it, um, when do we start actually seeing it in the real world? Or are we seeing it and we've become a nerd to it, used to it, new normal to it? You know, Tony, that one point, it's a new normal, so we're used to it. And also we're confused. Going back to what we just talked about with retail, going to a store, a restaurant, we're confused because we see the long line at the restaurant. So we think the economy is good, but that's a different problem. That's a problem because we haven't recovered from all the businesses that shut down. So I can understand why people would be confused. But you have to look at yourself. How much do you pay when you're in that restaurant? I can't believe the bill that I get when I go out to eat, considering what it was two years ago. And Tony, we haven't talked about the participation rate, productivity being down, the probability of recession. There's a lot of bad indicators in the economy right now that support this four to five months of decline. I want to get an understanding of where do we get to the moment of, oh, this is the recession. At what moment do the Jamie Dimons over there at Chase, at what moment do the Janet Yellens, Secretary of the Treasury, at what moments do, does the IMF and a host of others say, you know what, there, 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 there's nothing else to smile about. We are in the great ugly. When does that moment come? Tony, it's already here, but they you got to understand, public policy wants to mask it and give you a false impression. The private sector tells you the truth. The truth is Tesla cut their prices again because they can't sell their cars. That's a reality. You know, you see McDonald's laying people off. That's a fact. You see Amazon laying people off. That's a fact. You see FedEx announcing that they're profitable, but they're profitable because they're cutting their expenses to the bone. That's a fact. So look at what private businesses are doing. Again, the long lines, Tony, is a lack of supply chain. It hasn't been fixed yet. We have fewer choices and we haven't recovered from the pandemic from all those businesses that closed. Now, uh, one of the comments, uh, and I'll read it to you here, prices are going up, but wages are not going to have the wave effect. I'm not sure if they're just uh, making, uh, you know, 
saying it's just going to continue to grow and build. I don't know if that's an actually economic term, but are you seeing that prices going up, but wages aren't, or it doesn't matter if wages are going up because the inflation is taking away that buying power? Um, well, it's, it's, it's the latter, Tony. We've seen wages going up, but they haven't gone up as much as inflation. And that's where the rub is coming in. A part two, which is how do we work our way out of the situation? Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. You are very, very fond of an argument, sir. And the argument is, is that Jerome Powell and Joe Biden are locked in a battle to the death where you have Joe Biden spending going on and you have Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, his desire to counteract that by raising interest rates, which was made harder for Jerome Powell because you now have the bank issue where banks like Silicon Valley Bank, we saw it there first, heavily into the bonds. The bonds lose value when interest rates go up. They can't properly take care of their depositors. Next thing you know, they're getting what can only be described as a bailout from you, me, and we. You add on to that Janet Yellen telling small banks, you know what? We're not going to necessarily protect you because you aren't a systemic risk. We're really going to protect our friends over here on this side and you're going to have to fend for yourself which is moving depositors from small banks to larger regional banks or larger institutionalized uh, uh, banks this fight between jerome powell which has been made much tougher on him now and joe biden on the spending side this fight doesn't seem to have an end in sight either when as we've discussed you take a look at biden's budget the market eventually has to react to this but they haven't done it yet. I'm asking you to look into the crystal ball. When will they? You know, you always you always do that, Tony. Always. You always try to slip in a prediction. Sir, that's right. This is I, how it works in the big city. I, I can't tell you when the market's going to react to this. I, it, okay, I can tell you this. The market's volatile. You notice how the market goes up and down and up and down, and it's constantly fluctuating because the market is on the sidelines waiting to see how this fight uh, plays out. So, I, Tony, I don't know where the market's going to go, but I can tell you the market is nervous. You know it's nervous because it's fluctuating. So one day it's up a lot, one day it's down a lot because it's sitting on the sidelines watching this this boxing match between these two individuals. And right now, Jerome Powell is on the ropes and Biden is winning because he squeezed him to have to do a bailout of some of these banks, which increase the balance sheet of the Fed, which is another complicated topic. But it's it's that's that's fueling inflation. Let's talk about some of these reports, sir. As, as we go over them, as you look at them, Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, what exactly are they looking at? When we talk about manufacturing, you talk about, uh, we, we talk about the um, total lack of, of uh, what's the word, a supply. What is it that's actually being looked at? What are the numbers that economists like yourself are taking a look at to figure out the problem? Well, there's two numbers that I'm looking at right now, Tony. One is productivity. Productivity is the percentage of uh, production per hour of labor. Historically, it always goes up because we have computers, we have innovation. We can do more per hour. Tony, the amount of work that you do amazes me, how you're able to run multiple platforms at the same time. You couldn't have done that 10 years ago. Technology has made you more productive. Last year was the first year that I can recall, I look back as a couple of decades where we had a 7% decline in productivity. That is government-induced. That's regulation-induced. It's caused by people who are getting in your way and keeping you from being productive. 7% last year. I've never seen a year with that big of a decline, Tony. 
that's one of the big factors that we're looking at right now. So is, is when you see that, when you, when, when, when you envision that, what is the formula that you then put to it? Is there a formula that you're putting to it just for the moment to figure out where we are in a snapshot in time? Or does that formula actually have a way of really playing out for us, the American people, as to how long it will take to correct? Or is it the forces that go into the formula are so unpredictable? Biden spending, et cetera, that all you could do is come up with a number. You can't come up with a time certain of when this is over. You know, Tony, actually, the person who can predict that best is you, because it's a political problem. When the Department of Energy or Department of Agriculture sends another regulator to a farmer, that decreases productivity. When they say you are required to buy a a green energy uh, car rather than a car of your choice, that reduces productivity. When they divert money from one industry by saying, hey, banks, You can't loan money unless a company has a great ESG rating. You can't loan money to oil companies. The government and the politics is what's causing that to go down because they're putting roadblocks in front of you, Tony. That's socialism. I'm a numbers guy, but the bigger problem is the political problem that's getting in the way of market efficiency. I mean, that's uh, that's the frightening stuff. That's the stuff that that has us uh, concerned and and. You know, the, the, the type of economist you are, and, and certainly you've been on, not, not been shy with me and all the time that we've known each other and the and the conversations that you have. It's not how we usually hear economists talk, you know, that our problem with our economy is a political problem. Are economists discussing this loudly? No, Tony, because as you know, and you you point out, I'm a financial economist. I'm a guy that understands Wall Street and banking and those items. I'm not a classical theoretical economist. You know, those people that look at the uh, the age old uh, marginal cost and marginal supply curves. Um, I look at reality. And so the reality is that the economists who live in ivory towers, they just look at the data that comes across their desk. They don't understand the source of the data and who creates the data. And the person that creates it is a politician. That is scary. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. So as you you take a look at this number and you take a look at that manufacturing number, you take a look at what the Biden administration is going to cheer today uh, about jobs numbers. It all goes back into people playing their political games and we are still stuck. Your response is yes, we are stuck. And there's nothing about the detail numbers that tells us we are even beginning to be prepared to get unstuck. No. And and I will go back, and I mentioned this the other day when we spoke, go back and look at Joe Manchin's uh, editorial in the Wall Street Journal. He said that the president lied to him, and he supported an initiative. He got a vote to get things through for the Inflation Reduction Act. And in fact, the president totally reneged on his agreement, and we've gone in a negative economic direction as a result. If you want to believe that regarding Joe Manchin, you are more than welcome to. I'm I'm certainly not going to stop you. Uh, But Joe Manchin knew exactly what he was doing. Joe Manchin had to have known he was getting played. And if he didn't know he was getting played, then the people of West Virginia have got to start making some serious, serious decisions because you can't be that daft and still be in the U.S. Senate. Okay, maybe you could be Senator John Fetterman. That's (laughs) the most you can do. Truly the very most. Dr. Matt Will, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz.
in what I consider to be the story of the day, P. Diddy, that's Sean Combs. I don't know if he goes by P. Diddy or Puff Daddy anymore. Uh, we haven't texted in a while. Uh, Sean Combs, who wrote the song I'll Be Missing You, 1977, 1977, 1997. Please, please, we're not all that old. Settle down. Settle down. He writes I'll Be Missing You. It's a tribute to the notorious B.I.G. And he samples every breath you take. And because of that, he is still paying Sting $5,000 a day. Yes, Sting makes $5,000 a day, which means this year he'll make $1.825 million, and he is annually. He's getting $1.8 million. My advice to you is write songs. I was talking about this on my morning show, and my program director is like, you got to write a song over the weekend, debut it on Monday. I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean write a song over the weekend? I've got a book to write over the weekend. I have cigars to review over the weekend. I have studio that I'm building. I'm a busy guy. Write a song. I should write a song about how busy I am. Something with a catchy hook. Like, I need a drink. And then I'm going to, should be a country song because I can picture a truck and my dog. I don't know. My, my woman done left me. Well, I, honestly, I think I've got everything there for a country song. I don't know. I need a drink. Well, that'll be the, maybe that's the name of the song. Ooh, I'm writing it right now. Somebody get me my quill. Wait, do I not write with a quill? Damn it. Nobody told me how this works. $5,000 a day for every breath you take still. Man, st- stop working for a living. Write songs. This is all crazy. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today.